And I don't think that there's a more vulnerable place than like crying, right? Sure. And so some hesitance about who to share that vulnerability with, particularly if you're like a young man or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, <laughs> right. I lost my train of thought. Well, Cameron Garrett. Yeah. Here in the studio. Hi. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, man. So you are the director of New Ministries at that First Time Methodist. Yep. How'd you get there? Oh man, that's such a that's such a long story, um, but it's one that I've sort of gotten accustomed to telling. So to find some authenticity in the telling of the story is tough when it's been repeated so mm-hmm. frequently, mm-hmm. right? So I'll begin by saying I'm a candidate for ordained ministry in the United Methodist Church, right? Okay. And I've been a candidate since 2017. And the reason that I'm a candidate is because when I was in sixth grade, I went on my first mission trip, having no experience with mission trips, did not know what they were, did not know they existed. And I went on this first mission trip within the context of my family moving to Tampa from Maryland um, in 2004. So I was in fifth grade. It's a long way. Right, right. So... First first summer after a year of being in Tampa, Florida as the new kid, um, I go on this mission trip that summer with this church that my folks started going to when I was when, when we moved. It happened to be a Methodist church. It was called Wellspring United Methodist. Mm. Go on this mission trip with this guy. He's a youth pastor, and he's a very cool guy, and he made me feel like I belonged immediately, which due to, like, some of the nuances and idiosyncrasies of my character uh, I've struggled with, like that feeling of belonging. So makes me feel not only like I belong, but like I'm valuable. He really affirms me, right? And, and I recognize uh, that affirmation may have been easier for him to give me because I'm like a young white guy, right? So like... The church looks at a young white guy who's capable of like um, sentences and says, "Like you ought to be a pastor." You know, capable of sentences, capable of producing sentences. What a what a what a standard. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, this guy encourages me. We're on the mission trip, and I feel like so. Tyler and I are painting this home in Orlando, Florida. Remember where I'd never been before. Sure. From Maryland. Okay. From Maryland. Mm-hmm. We had no idea we were moving to Florida when we moved to Florida. We did it because my dad got a job opportunity that we weren't expecting, right? So, anyways, I'm painting next to Tyler on this house the first summer after moving to Tampa, Florida from Maryland in Orlando, Florida, which is a mere hour and a half from Tampa. And the youth pastor asks me what I want to do when I grow up. And I thought about how meaningful and useful I felt while we were like painting this old woman's house. And I was like, I don't know, man, I think I'd like to do like what you're doing, like what we're doing right now. And I'd never thought that before. Um, and Tyler asked me, that's awesome. When, when did, when did you sort of figure that out and I said oh you know like a few years ago and it had like just occurred to me in response to the question then a few weeks later I go to Warren Willis United Methodist Church Camp for the very first time and I have the best 
week of summer of my whole life. I was like, I was just in my element, like extroverted, having so much fun and everybody having fun with me and we're learning together and every night we're going to chapel and worshiping and the worship is meaningful in a way that I've never experienced before in my life. And then on Thursday night, which counselors who work at this camp have illegally called cry night due to the propensity that children who go to this camp might cry on that night due to the quality or uh, substance of the worship sermon or the worship. Mm-hmm. I cry, I weep, I have what I now characterize but didn't know then was a, a religious experience, which is not at all uncommon. Um, and that that sort of that sort of shifted the trajectory, I think, of my life because mm-hmm. ever since then I've been pursued by this idea that I ought to be working in and with and for the church, as yeah. I interpret it. Uh, and that led me to Candler School of Theology, where I got the silliest sounding degree in the world, Master of Divinity. Three-year program. Continue to learn about like the depth and nuance of this tradition that we've inherited in the midst of 21st century contexts like globalization and pluralism and... Um, ideology, and so on and so forth. Today is Juneteenth, so we're talking also about like solidarity. What does that mean? Whatever that is, that that's the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so Today's also Father's Day. Today is also Father's Day, man, yeah. Got a lot of things happening today. Yeah. yeah. Storming outside. It's storming outside. <laughs> it's a great mood for a podcast. Yeah. It's, do you? No, it's great. Do you ever feel that religious experience that you had before in your current work now? Yeah, I do. I do, and I'm always surprised by it because I tend to I tend towards, and this is this might sound silly as as somebody who's going to be ordained as a reverend, maybe, but I have a lot of skepticism about um, a lot, mm. and so to 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 be surprised by gratitude or joy in in worship when I'm not anticipating it and when in fact I I think it's most likely not going to happen. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden I'm I'm swept up in the midst of like ah, there's something more going on here. Mm. You know. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you said there's skepticism and yeah. sometimes in what you're experiencing or not experiencing or maybe what you're learning. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, is there's that, is that a normal path for people going through what you're that's such right. a good question, dude. Well done. Really good question. I mean that. I mean that as sincerely as I can. I, know, I mean, it could know. be like quote normal. Like what is normal, right? Yeah. But like, is that something that's experienced a lot of people going through? Or is it I ordainment? So. I I think so. It 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 sort of depends upon um, a lot to find yourself asking that question. But I'm certainly not, and specifically the question of like, what can I trust myself to believe or think. You know, mm. or what can I trust about how I'm responding with in relationship to like where I am in the world and who I am in the world, right? That so. I do. I don't think I'm at all alone in that, but it, I couldn't say that every person that goes to seminary and pursues ordained ministry is thinking some of these questions, and I, I think that that's sometimes to their detriment. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's. I want to say it's unfair to say you shouldn't be skeptical or questioning. 
Right. So I feel that if you are questioning, like asking like why questions or what if questions, you're not trying to disprove what you're learning. Yeah, that's really good. Because I feel like if you just accept it for what it is or you accept everything that you're hearing, then it's kind of blind trust or a blind acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think that there's a, like, there's a seductive quality to um, betraying like your attention to what's going on. No. I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Let me the, see if I can clarify. Betraying your attention to what's going on. Yeah. Specifically, like if, if you're swept up in the world in such a way that you can um, easily accept uh, ideologies that promote harm and like demonstrably promote harm, mm-hmm. then I think that there's a sort of seductive and willing ignorance in, in that case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard because every single institution on the planet, including the church, is like a human run institution, you know? Right. And humans are capable of some really certainly incredibly bad things and incredibly good things too. Incredibly bad things that are done in the name of God can be very, very, very bad. Right. Right. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's really important to harp on that, you know, capital C church yeah. is ha- is human-led. And so is, you know, think government, think any big organization is still led by humans. Right. It's still as corruptible as, or say as fragile as the weakest link, right? I think that's a really good point to make, but it was also really helpful for some really good things too. Yes. Yeah. And I, I would not still be in the church if it weren't for those really very good things. Right. Right. And so as director of youth ministries, what are you doing now? Yeah. So I was the interim director of youth ministries at first church for, so graduated from Candler last summer, um, called a man named Bob who is a mentor and Yoda in my life. Was? Is. 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 Okay, because I also knew a Bob, Payworth. Yeah, no, no, not Bob. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever met, run into him at all? I have not. I okay. don't know if I have. He actually, I may have. He actually led me to get my baptism back my freshman year of college. Yeah. Um, anyway, I thought it would have been a really interesting coincidence. But, yeah. so this Bob of yours. This Bob of mine is the district superintendent for the north central district of the florida conference of the united methodist church so Uh this is to say like he supervises a a swath of area sure right so this guy i've got a good relationship with i call him after i graduate because i've decided not to pursue ordination again Mm. um and i say i think that what i need to do before i take this step and this commitment i need to work in the local church i need more experience in it Mm. so that i know what i'm signing up for and this is what I'd really love to get, but I know that it's sort of, it's a high in demand job and therefore tough to find. Um, I say I'd like to do like director of di- discipleship or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So anyways, a week after we have that conversation, two weeks after I've graduated from seminary, um, Vance Rains, who is the lead pastor of First United Methodist Church of Orlando, where I work, and uh, went into Bob's office and said, like, we need somebody right now to fill this position, and I, and I don't know where to find this person. And Bob said, oh, you should give Cam a call. So he calls me, asks me how soon I can get down to Orlando. I say, a week. 
and I moved to Orlando, Florida because that's where my parents live now. So I don't need to like find a, I can just like hang out with my folks for right. however long as I need to. Perfect. Um, the condition of me coming down as quickly as I did, transitioning so quickly to living in Orlando, is that they needed an interim youth director, which I told Bob the only job I don't want is to be a youth director. <laughs> Why not? Uh, I, I think that I, I, having graduated with like this degree from this institution that I now owe a ton of money to, um, this very expensive private school education, I felt like I wanted to talk to big boys and girls. Sure. You know? Right. Which is, uh, you know, now that I've done it, that was, a uh, that was, that was dumb. That was, that wasn't, <laughs> you know, like that I love... I love hanging out with kids. I, I'm from a big family. I was one of the older cousins, so I raised a, like a lot of my cousins to a degree, to the degree that I could seeing them once a week every year or so. Um, so I love hanging out with kids, and I love like I taught fourth grade before I went to seminary for a year. Talk about a handful. Yeah, I did. I did some volunteer work at First Nine Methodist Winter Park with middle, the middle school boys program on like some afternoons dude that was the most chaotic environment to like try yeah. and teach or like be a mentor for yeah <laughs> that's a handful it is a handful and what what i delight so first i was like the associate teacher right, right. i was making 19k a year and feeling like a king i was like i've made it <laughs> this is uh, it. And I was an associate teacher, so I wasn't a, a lead teacher. I would bop into classrooms and help where I could, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what that meant in like school terms is that I sort of occupied the fun uncle position of like not total authority, which made it a lot of fun in the midst of the like chaos that uh, children bring. You know? Right. Absolutely. So, anyways, I get this. Sorry for being so long-winded Dude, as well. You're for it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I am absolutely, I've discovered like an external processor. So I'm discovering along with you whatever it is sure. that I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Right? just thinking out literally, just thinking, thinking out loud. Thinking out loud, literally. Yeah. So just interrupt me. You're good. Um, but so get this job and I, I love it. The, and the, so the reason that they needed a new youth director so quickly is because they were just about to do all of the things that I did when I moved to Tampa in 2004. There were mission trips lined up and mm-hmm. camps to go to, and now they need a youth director and somebody to lead those things that all of these parents and children have already invested in, time and money and like care, right? So I serve as the interim youth director that summer. Discover, which shouldn't have been a discovery, should have just been like, oh yeah, this makes sense. I loved the job and I loved uh, the youth group. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the job was always taken on the within the context of me eventually moving into this other role that is brand new. So they they have not had this at the church before. But director of new ministries, right, is what I am at First United Methodist Church of Orlando. What is that entitle? That entitles nobody knows, which is the hard thing. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's a it's a brand new job, and and by nobody knows, I mean like there are definitely tried and true techniques for the development of new ministry mm-hmm. be that mm-hmm. within an existing church or the creation of a new church got it and our response to the question of what 
what is appropriate for witnessing to beloved community within our context as the church mm-hmm. means you, like you have to pay attention to the community that you're in, the land that you're on, like the right. garden that is yours to tend, right? Right. So that means that director of new ministries has to look at the unique context of the church and determine how to encourage fellowship and um, discipleship and a, a sense of significant belonging and meaningful congregation and say, how can, not necessarily how do we evangelize folks to come to the church, but rather like what is our church's relationship to the community and mm. what are we drawn to and who can we learn from? And my job is to serve as sort of the connection point between these opportunities in the community. And mm. the hard thing about that is that um, I get to do what I want. You know, I, there's not really much of a structure. I just get to, to say, I, I obviously have to go to my boss, which is sure. one of the pastors, and say, I'd like to do this. And they, they typically say, sure. And then I go try to do this thing. And a lot of the time, the thing either does like pretty well or it doesn't, you know, and it's just t- it's hard. And it's like entrepreneurship within that realm. Too. Yeah, right. Exactly. So yeah. it makes sense. It's the, the freedom is nice and, right. and liberating. Also, the freedom is challenging. So yeah. you, you have this really wide frame of reference to do what you want in blank slate and to fill that with plans that you want can be in its, right. own, its own challenge. Whereas if you had a very small frame to fill, that would be like, that would be your job with your three to four tasks. Yeah. Right? And sometimes I want that, you know, like I want, sometimes I want to be told like what to do so that I don't have to linger in like whatever ambiguity. Like, I'm am I doing in. the right thing? Right. Yeah. That's a, I find myself in the same spot all the time. It's yeah. Like, am, am I on the right? Am I on the path? Yeah, dude. Am I on the right thing? Right. Yeah. It sounds to me like when you were, we were talking when I first got here and, and mm. you'd said like, you know, I've graduated from school and now I'm figuring I'm determining, like I'm listening to my life and determining what the next move is. Mm-hmm. And I can see that in the setup that you've got here. So that's like, yeah, that's wonderful, man. That's hard that. work. It's uh lit. I've heard a lot of things like late twenties is, putting on as many hats as you can to figure out what's fitting, what's not fitting, figure out what work, what's working. Right. And I, Jordan Peterson, if you're familiar with him, I am. Yeah. And he had a quote. It was like having, well, his, his speech was more of like male role models to younger audiences. Um, right. Whereas you have like a father figure in the household to separate wheat from chaff, like of what should or should not do. Like, this is a good path. This is not a good path. Um, I feel like sometimes with like the passing of my father is I, he gave me so much guidance in my younger life. Um, he played professional baseball. So did I, Oh, I played till through college. Uh, he also went through college. I followed the same footsteps and then uh, I went through grad school, which he did not do. And after that um, he passed before I graduated. And so now it's, it's like this really loose, I'll say like a loose leash where it's, what is the path? Like I'm finding it for myself, yeah. which is more or less very parallel with where he was because his parents weren't so involved with his life. So mm. um, it, it's been a very big adventure and like experiment uh, driven place where I'm at to figure out what's working and what, what the path is. Right. Right. And no, it's, this has been fun because I mean, going to meet really interesting people and learn a lot and get exposed to different mindsets. Right. And I think what we're doing is really cool of what, like, what does community mean? What, like, 
how does that yeah. look from a church perspective, from a like religious, um, and how could that connect with other places where maybe say like other guests that have been on here? How does that connect with other projects going on, or how can we connect those dots, right? Right. And I think what I also wanted to ask you is what what is church? Yeah, that's a good question. Right. And there's like you could define it like capital C church versus lower C, or I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, I want to remember your question, and I also want to ask if you don't mind me asking yeah. a question. Okay, yeah. yeah, so today today is Father's Day, and you've yeah. just told me that your dad passed. Yeah. You just learned that. Yeah. How is that? How, how are you? Do you mind? Uh, kind of numb. Yeah. It's been, been a couple of years, and grieving looks different for everybody, and it comes in waves where it's like one day, oh, it'll come and I'll be bawling my eyes out for just cause I remember one instance he may have been in the same room and did this one thing or the song came on. Right. Um, and it's some days I'm talking about this with my, my family, my, my mom, my sister, it's some days it feels so long ago. Like I think something, not something that not a lot of people talk about. Um, well, it's one thing to have a instant, tragedy of losing somebody like in an instant versus a gradual like disease process right where he had um he had pancreatic neuroendocrine cancer and he lived nine years after his diagnosis he was given i think three to four years and he was his own health advocate had to research most of everything like where to go what kind of treatments were mm-hmm. available for himself because that was what steve jobs had he didn't right. get he refused treatment uh but my dad would really want really wanted to do something about it um, and I lost my train of thought too. I'm with you. <laughs> um, so it, the experience of the disease process is not spoken about a whole lot, at least from my experience where you're seeing it played out over months, over like a year of caretaking for that person. And I've actually, I have actually met one or two people that have done that at similar experiences where you see them like degrade and, mm-hmm. you know, bring in hospice, um, and it's not pretty it's it i would have rather seen him as he was before all that happened and remember him that way right um and i still do right and but it's like the flashbacks of like how that looks up until the end right and now nah, i'm just gonna go on a tangent now <laughs> but father father's day man that's a yeah yeah, it's not like uh it's not like a forefront thought all the time. It's sometimes I forget my own birthday. So it's not yeah. like I'm like it's not like a lingering thought or a like a Today is another day. Right. So yeah. it's I think about him every day. Yeah. Right. So Today it's not, is another day. It's not, I don't want to yep. think of him on Father's Day, right? So I'll go and see him on other days. Right. Um and I, I feel like that's how it should be. It shouldn't just be one day or one holiday to bring your attention to that person. Yeah. Right, it's kind, right. Of, kind of like an anniversary for a relationship. It shouldn't be a Valentine's Day is the only time when you do something special. Yeah. Right. How to honor our time is a good question. Mm. Yeah. And like honor relationships. Oh, honoring time is important. That that's an interesting thing too. Is I think honoring time with relationships too. When my dad got diagnosed, a couple, the trend happened slowly. But my relationship with him changed dramatically over the course of that because sometimes disease can, can be a, a, there's a silver lining in that 
where you bring more appreciation for that person because you can say, oh, well, you're lucky to have your parents because they won't always be around. But that's not really a reality. It's not a forefront reality for a lot of people. It's taken for granted, right? Where in the later stages of his life, we were became really, really like best friends. Like I call him every day. Like I don't know if you had a relationship where you would call somebody and know how what mood they're in by the, how they say hello, mm-hmm. right? So like you can tell their tone by how their tone is, how they're feeling exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's the silver lining. I feel like is the a, attention and appreciation of time with that person. Right. Right. This is your podcast or my podcast? Sorry, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, no, you're fine. Yeah. I just thought it was funny. Um, no, so. I, I want to say thanks for uh, sharing that with me, man. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, it, as many people that they feel like unsure about it, to ask those questions, I feel like for a lot of people yeah. too, and mostly for, for myself, right? It helps to talk about it. Yeah. Helps to put on the table, helps to, it's more cathartic for me to talk about it and make sense of it too. Yeah. Right. And there's the fear, like, this is what we were talking about maybe off air. There's the fear of, like, so you mentioned the unpredictability of grief, right? Right. How it shows up differently at different times for different folks and often shows up differently at different times within, like, one person, expressions of it when Mm. it happens. Sure. So there's, like, there's a deep vulnerability in, like, being apprehended by something like grief, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that part of the taboo around speaking about grief or witnessing to grief or um, acknowledging the loss of death, uh, I think part of the reason there's a taboo is because it's like the, it's, it's deeply human. It's like one of the most vulnerable human spaces you can be, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So again, I thank, thanks for, sharing with me no i appreciate that yeah no it's a good question and it it helps and i feel like that question should be asked more often or people should be i think should be more open to talking about it because i think that would help a lot instead of getting bottled up talking about like men and emotions right Right. of having to bottle it up or hide it right or like that you hear suck it up right all the time and not letting it go which is still as much as it's preached uh is a tough tough thing to follow all the time yeah it's a, it's a it's a tricky balance to to honor your emotions yeah sure yeah. sure and like publicly versus privately right 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 it's different yeah i think the original question was <laughs> i got it i got it <laughs> okay uh, what yeah. is the church yeah yeah so i was actually thinking about that when in your response you'd said um something about how the process of death and dying with your dad made you witness to time in a specific way, Mm. right? Where maybe you were more aware of the passage of time and the significance of a moment, right? And I don't want to sound woo-woo, right? But that's, that's, that's what it is. It's, it's a witnessing to what we have, Mm -hmm. right? The church at its best and I, so I'm making huge claims and I don't have the authority to, to, to like make these claims classic uh guy on podcast move but so anyways i still i still believe like church at its best for me is um what an what an ironic thing church at its best for me um 
it's witness to uh, time. It's witness to land. It's witness to uh, what we what we think honors life, hmm. and it's a stewardship of that within locality and particularity and complexity and the always fraught and frail enterprise of living as a human person amongst other human people, you know? So like that, that image of beloved community that's informed by like Martin Luther King Jr. where he says like in his Christmas sermon on peace, this is one of my favorite writings of all time, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s Christmas sermon on peace. It's the one where he says, we're all inescapably caught up in a network of mutuality. Like that, so that, that's paraphrased a bit. Anyways, he talks about this mutuality that we share and how like we're tied in dependence to each other. And mm-hmm. so like my well-being is ultimately also dependent upon yours. And that doesn't mean like we sacrifice ourselves for the greater good. It means rather what I see you doing, mm-hmm. which is a commitment to uh, care of soul and care of the world in such a way that we might be able to honor this thing that we found ourselves in, which is like ideal. And, and the reality is, is that the church is an imperfect place full of imperfect people. And that's not to hide harm. We don't want to hide harm, Mm -hmm. which the church has historically done, right? Mm. But how how do we tiptoe the fine line between like the already and not yet of our love for each other and ourselves? You know? Beautifully said. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Do you, it's like a, an attention to life, an attention to others. And yeah. And it's, it's, it's an attention that's born out of this like sacred reality that, um, the primary figure in our tradition, Jesus Christ. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's our guy. Right. Sure. Um, Jesus Christ came and, and, said we belong to each other you know and we belong to each other because we belong to this magnificence that the tradition calls imago dei it's latin that means image of god Mm. meaning that wow yeah good 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 don't say the name of yahweh (laughs) right (laughs) have you heard that story of the guy that got zapped carrying the ark of the covenant no. This is a good story, real quick. I, I don't think you hear the thunder in the background. It's, I, it's I'm sure wow. they heard it. There's this <laughs> enormous thunderclap. It's raining. It's like gorgeous in this studio. There's like lush greenage all around us. And so, anyways, there's, and then I'll return to what I was saying, I right. think. Uh, there's the story in the Bible. Uh, David is celebrating uh, his retrieval of um, Judah. Mm hmm as the nation of Israel. So he's, he's parading into the Jewish folks, um, primary center of identity and location, um, which is Jerusalem. And they're celebrating that they've recaptured this territory with the help of God. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're parading 
and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which is said to house the identity of God. And there's really strict rules around who can interact with the Ark of the Covenant. And if you don't follow all of the rules, you will like, you will get wrecked in a word. So anyways, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant from where they were back into Jerusalem. And uh, this guy stumbles as he's carrying this enormous box with four other people on a platform. Um, this guy stumbles and the ark starts to fall. So this character, I think his name is like Uzzah or Uzzah. It's spelled U-Z-Z-A-H. I've just butchered it. Um, he gets zapped by God. Right. He gets zapped. And, and so like, anyways, the, the like pastoral response to that story is like, what the what can we learn takeaway that some that some have applied to this story from like a Christian interpretation mm-hmm. uh, is like we have to revere God, not that like irreverence means we're going to get zapped. It just means like reverence for whatever our whatever the ground of our being is. To borrow a phrase from a theologian named Paul Tillich. Right. So what was I saying though? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll go. Actually, I'll keep going with. Yeah. I have some other community questions, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, Dude, I'll talk all day. Just tell me. I'm here yeah. for it. I'm here yeah, for yeah. it. I'm here for it. Um, how has the community within the church or culture shifted since you joined? Oh, I don't know. I don't know that I've had that significant of an influence on the church in the time that I've been here. Mm. Or th- even just witnessing, right? Or observing. Yeah. So I started right as we thought that we were coming out of COVID. So people had just started coming back to the church mm. after two years of not meeting in person. And one of the sort of results of the pandemic for mainline Protestant churches like the one that I serve is that the church has been in decline for over 10 years and the pandemic sort of sped up this process of decline. So Mm -hmm. we we saw a trickle of people come back Mm -hmm. as they started to feel more comfortable, as they started to habituate going to church again sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like the primary to, to what I've seen in the year that I've been there I've been witness to this church's like history and tradition that I'm I'm in awe of. Um, and I'm continuing to to meet folks as as more folks return to the church. Mm-hmm. To learn like to continue to learn about the story of this church and this community. Yeah. And I think that we're sort of doing that together. That's the culture shift. Okay. After 2 years away, we're all together again articulating who and what we are as a community mm. and like right. why we're here right right okay i think it's good i think it's like, yeah i think again the questioning of like why isn't always a bad thing i think it's honestly probably the better better question to ask is if you're not testing what you're thinking or testing what you know oh good how can you confirm or learn from that yeah okay right? if you're just blindly accepting it then Cool. This is where I get to flex my d- degree in the only <laughs> way that like, so I was a philosophy major in undergrad and oh I, I knew what I was getting into, right? Um, because I, I knew that like folks who major in philosophy can go on to do w- really whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And so like what 
that decision is up to you and there's no market security, right? Like what right. direction you take. So anyways, <laughs> I major in philosophy and I learned from this guy named John Matheson, who is an epistemologist at the University of North Florida, epistemology being the study of knowing. Mm. And I got to take some classes with this guy and I'm not a philosopher. I got a BA in philosophy, which is much different than being a philosopher. <laughs> um, well, also, who's to say, like, other philosophers in the past never got degrees? Oh, certainly. Right. Right? Like, who's yeah. to say you're a philosopher or not? Right? Yeah. So, I'll I'll claim for myself. <laughs> I'm not a philosopher. Sure, sure. Um, but so, epistemology is the study of knowing. And this guy, John Matheson, he, he had this thesis. And I got to take some classes where we explored this thesis in relationship to ethical questions. He's an ethicist. Mm which is the study, not just to assume that we're all on the same page, it's ethics is the study of morality. Mm -hmm. How do we do what we do and why do we do that? What a vague, what a vague. Yeah, (laughs) all of it. Interesting. All of it sort of gets muckier, the deeper, like all, it's turtles all the way down mm -hmm. to steal the name of a saying (laughs) in John Green's book. So it's the questioning of why, right? To what you're doing and why we're here. So in like in church or in community, asking ourselves why are we here yeah right yep what's going on mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um r- how, how do we respond to that question sure. of what's going on yeah um dr matheson says that he he proposes this um an ethics of humility basically meaning that like there are so many issues in the world where very smart people have all of this evidence to support their claim. And then there are a bunch of other also very smart people with all of the same argument with, with all of the same evidence Mm -hmm. in the same reality. And they disagree. Why is it that very smart people over here and very smart people over here who have all of the same evidence disagree? That means that like the discovery of whatever their truth is, is, uh, is an ordeal indeed mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. so he proposes um an ethics of humility and epistemology of mm-hmm. humility basically where he says like we ought to tend towards epistemic humility meaning not that i distrust myself but mm-hmm. rather i know my limitation and how deep and and how wide my my uh my limitation is in the face of the of this of this life that we're all mm-hmm. living right so is that in in practice the humility of listening to who i'm opposing and seeing where they're yeah from? yeah so like in philosophy generally mm-hmm. the thing to do if you're reading or listening to or engaging philosophy is practice a hermeneutics of charity mm. hermeneutics is defined as the way that we read texts so the lens that we apply to whatever it is that we're reading that influences our reading, that's what hermeneutics is. We look at what that stuff is. Mm-hmm. So a hermeneutics of charity says that when you read anything, you ought to look for the way that it makes sense because that's how you'll actually understand whatever argument mm-hmm. or person or experience represents, right? That's interesting too is how we interpret text even in a current culture is 
tone doesn't always match text how it's if i were to text you right and the text i send you is hey what's up period and that tone could be taken in a negative positive however you're i feel like however the recipient is interpreting it right right which makes i think it really tricky to find absolute maybe absolute truth and tone when reading things right it could be different if it's just information versus like say vague things such as morality yeah, so um, repeat what you just said one more time. I want to make sure I've heard you correctly. <laughs> so you, what was the process of thought called? The process of thought is uh, hermeneutics of charity. Herme- hermeneutics. Yeah. Um, of charity. Okay. And that was, if you want to understand it, right. have it make sense. Yeah. Try okay. very hard to make it make sense. Make it make sense, right? And then making sense for yourself is how does it make sense to me? And like Good. quote my truth, right? And that's right. vernacular for the last like ten or so years, right? Yeah. And that I feel like is tricky because yeah. read we can both read the same paragraph of something some topic, right? And it could be just strictly statistical, right? And then that would make generally more sense to more people the same way mm-hmm. versus say a concept like vaguely such as say relationship dynamics or what is love right right and it would make sense to some people who have yeah. different experiences right and it would mean something completely different whoever has never had a, a romantic relationship before yeah right or parent or insert so i think that's yeah very like Again, like a very tricky or like, okay, yeah, make it make sense for you, but who's to say it doesn't make sense for me? Yeah, and that's a very American way to like look at the world. Sure. The sense of like, I know my truth and I have to pursue my truth even if your truth is different, right? Right. And the trickiness of that is that that is a platitude it's a it's something that's been repeated often and so it's meaning because we all interpret things differently Mm -hmm. means a bunch of different things at the same time right yeah i could flash one word it can mean if i were to say you know hat and then it's a different context for 20 people right um whatever image pops in your head right yeah um but that on a scale of politics on top of culture on top of whatever current like pop like pop culture like anything that's yeah. going on gets emphasized or amplified right and i think what you're trying to say is how can people that are quote smart yeah that are you know obje- objectively smart right having totally different viewpoints on the mm-hmm. same information good right and it's a thought experiment so it is yeah <laughs> okay yep I'm there. Yeah, that's that's what that's what this guy's after. Okay. So sure. the idea is like maybe we could talk to each other or be in relationship to each other mm-hmm. if we approached each other with like charity and humility. Mm, charity, charity meaning charity, charity meaning like I I know I see I see your value mm. somehow. Mm-hmm. To love somebody as they are without projecting our image of who we think they ought to be onto them. Now, that question is huge because, like, serial killers exist, dude. So, like, how do how you, do you do... love them? Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I don't yeah. know the answer to that question, but I know that my tradition is life 
and every single like process mm-hmm. that we have here is is of like significance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get I get Kevin Holland here, who's been a, to Afghanistan, and like, how do you love somebody who you saw like kill a child, right? Yeah. Or like, how do you love that person, right? Right. I'm not saying he's witnessed that, but like, say, take someone who's been deployed overseas, right, and like get them in the studio and have that conversation. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So I think a, another thing about the church. Sorry for interrupting, man. You oh, got dude, me you're going good. off now. <laughs> yeah, go off. Um, so something something else about the the church. I uh, gosh, I lost it. It was there and it's gone. I had an idea. Was it, it was in response to what you were saying? Well, how do we bridge the gaps? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you said love, right? Ch- through charity. I right. asked, what is charity? Charity, charity meaning a very specific thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I know like uh, a charity. Like I know what that co- concrete concept could be like. Also right. charity as an abstract concept. Yeah, charity as a, as a, a way that you look at the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how do we bridge that divide? I mm-hmm. So I, I tend towards the belief mm-hmm. um, that... It's taxes. Okay. okay, so this country that we live in, we live and breathe and have our being in, was founded by slaveholding pietists, right? Uh, not by them. They, they, the, the, the construct of America was founded by these slaveholding mm-hmm. pietists. Mm-hmm. Not, the, not the separatists that came from the church. Or Those, that's who I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. The, okay. So the folks who separated from the church over in the UK, many of them were practicing a form of Christianity known as Pietism. Okay. And the emphasis in Pietism is on the the quality, character, and content of one's individual soul and the way that you care for it in the pursuit of holiness. Mm-hmm. Right. So the responses to that mm-hmm. question were like, you have to be disciplined. You have to maintain habits of attention, mm-hmm. and there are also these like institutional rules and strictures that you have to observe in order to attain the ideal vision of yourself as a reflection of God in this life so mm-hmm. that your salvation in heaven is assured. Sure. Those are the people who found this country, dude. Right. So anyways, they come, they commit genocide right like we kill an entire continent of folks and i laugh because it's so ironic yeah that's not that's a funny thing to laugh at but it's yeah let me be the best person i can be in layman's terms but then also commit that yeah man yeah yeah so any any anyways these these guys these white men that founded this country had some beliefs about the world Mm -hmm. right and so they, the implicit bias that they live in as products and creatures of their time who are guilty and fully human mm. are built into, it, it's built into the, to the fabric of our social being. It's in like all of the texts that we as a state hold sacred, such as the constitution, right? Mm. So the, the guys who wrote these texts were, were piet- born out of this like pietistic tradition. Mm-hmm. So American individualism, the pursuit of happiness, the discovery of one's true self mm-hmm. is one of the mythologies that we 
uh, exist. It's like one of our shared stories, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and the thing to pay close attention to in your reading is like, how does this story make sense? And also, now that I know that it makes sense, does it work? Right? So the paradox is that the individual focus on the self in American thought gave us ideas like authenticity mm -hmm. that existed previously, but the idea is like you pursue whatever is most real and deep and honorable about you so that you can maintain your integrity, right? Mm -hmm. The question is how to bridge the divide between somebody who's deeply and authentically committed to what to what is they think is going on in the world mm -hmm. with people who think differently who are also fully human mm -hmm. the the idea is maybe if our discovery of our authenticity is is real whatever real is then we can we'll know that by the way that we operate in community to each other because when you discover your true self, there's this idea that you discover the way, all the degree to which you're bound up in the wellness of everything, mm -hmm. right? So I think the church Bridget, tries to bridge the divide and often fails in reaching out to folks that w might be others to our institution Mm -hmm. or to the world at large, such mm -hmm. as the homeless or the marginalized. Sure, sure. Right? So. It's interesting. It, I think that's really well said. And also yeah. it's such a paradox, right? And such a can be confusing thing to try to communicate too. So I appreciate that. And yeah. That was really well done. Okay. And no, no, no. <laughs> I'll believe awesome. you. Awesome. I'll believe that's you. That's awesome. No, no. Um, I, I think from what I'm hearing is like you have – one person thinking this is my truth, this is my reality, and another person thinking this is my truth, this is my reality, and this is how I'm authentic, and they have different opinions on the same thing. How do we bridge the gap? Yeah, is from it's... yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm also trying to discover for myself too. Yeah. Um. So I'm, what I'm hearing is like the kind of humility. Yeah. And then you said like charity, right? Right. Which might be informed by reverence. Mm, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how do we get to reverence? I have no idea, dude. That's the thing. Like the church is an attempt to live in reverence. Mm -hmm. Right. It's an articulation of an attempt to live a whole life. Mm -hmm. Um. So I, I think what my my intention with this podcast was to bridge gaps. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, my ideal scenario would be to have people with different opinions on all around the table. Yeah, good. Wow. Facilitated conversations, right? And because we are seeing, in at least last few years, a very binary culture. Good. And I think, the, though I think total homogeny doesn't lead to much culture, right? Our cultural homogeny is quite boring. Right. Um, but there has to be some sort of American unity, right? If we yeah. are to progress and get better or to get back to any quote like normal that we had before or that our quote backbone of our nation is our small communities. Yeah. How can we bridge those gaps, so to say, right? And that's more of a hypothetical, right, at this point. But um, 
I think that's why I want to pick your brain on. Yeah. That looks for you. Good. So yeah. Thanks man. Mm-hmm. Um, that means a lot. Uh, how to, how to bridge the divide. Uh, I, I, th- I think that maybe like, um, it, it might require a, the sort of care that is involved in the, in a hero's journey, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning like a descent into our underworlds that we all live in, meaning mm-hmm. our fear and mm-hmm. um, our trauma and the ways in which we've been hurt and everything that scares us, sure. right? How do we care for all of that complexity in ourselves and through that hero's journey, because it is the work of a lifetime and you never arrive, <laughs> you discover um, how you belong. Sure. And and it's it's not a belonging that is dependent upon you and I living the same life. It's mm-hmm. a belonging that is in recognition to um, my place in the world. Mm. Mm. Right? Got it. Yep. It's not in reference to this person accepts me or denies me. It's where do I fit into yeah. I guess more or less the environment yeah. to the planet, right? Yeah. Makes yeah. And the, the craziest thing about that is that like what chaos, dude. It, it's chaos. Literal literal it is what it is. Yeah. There's Look, no I morality. sound like I sound like Jordan <laughs> Peterson. It's chaos. It's, How does he sound? No, right. It's chaos. It's, yeah. It's uh, it's not a <laughs> Yeah, do it, do it, do it. It's not a it's not a good thing. It's a terrible thing, in yeah. fact. But <laughs> but if you don't yeah. go out in the world, right. Yeah. Um yeah. no, it so nature it is what it is, right? Yeah, dude. As as insensitive as that may sound, right? Morality well, is a human construct. Uh, see, so here's one of the biases that I bring to a conversation. If we were to have two other people here and we sure. would be talking about this stuff, this is where people would be able to, to disagree with me. Right? Sure. So one of uh, the concerns of like moral relativism is that if there isn't some sort of like structure that exists mm-hmm. in order to maintain whatever like is actually life, mm-hmm. whatever promotes life, mm-hmm. um, that, gosh, I lost it. I keep losing it, dude. I'm sorry. I'm on You're your good. podcast and I keep losing my stream <laughs> of thought. What, what was I saying? I have ADHD, by the way. I was diagnosed like three months ago. We can go back to where people might disagree <laughs> with my bias on morality. Oh, being yeah, construct, that's right? it. That's it. So um, I think that we have to depend upon an, an idea of what it means to be here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that might transcend our difference in our particularity by being built into our difference in our particularity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean that somebody can interpret the entire wholeness of what we've got going on here in observation to life on earth. Um, But the idea is that like, we're all bound together. Mm -hmm. It's like it work. It's like it work. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So what do we owe each other is the question. mm. And your response to that question can be different, but I have to believe that there's some sort of like, human condition that binds us together that's interesting yeah Hmm. i think be more aware of that right yeah yeah nicely said um 
I got one last question for you. Please. Before we close out. What does backbone mean to you? What Cam? does what? What does backbone mean to you? Backbone? Mm-hmm. Oh, woof. Okay. Um, I, th- I think it means when I think about my backbone, I think about how it can get tight. And I think about how it's often the result of my being sedentary, stuck in one place mm. or in one position. Mm-hmm. And so backbone to me, I immediately thought about what I would like for my backbone to be when I'm old and it gets harder to walk about. Um, I would like for there to be some fluidity and strength in mm-hmm. my backbone, mm-hmm. meaning that I got to get loosey-goosey and also find, be loosey-goosey where I can be loosey-goosey and be strong where I have to be strong. Sure. Right? Interesting. Yeah. I like that. I like that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's more yeah. of like a, like a physical, metaphysical twist on that, right? Yeah. Very cool. So, Cam, how can we find you? How can you find me? On social media or? Yeah, I'm on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an absurd and ridiculous TikTok called Sprite Pepsi. Sprite Pepsi, okay. Sprite Pepsi. You could follow me on TikTok. Um, you could follow me on Twitter at CamCamCamG. Um, or you could follow me on Instagram at CamCamCamG. Uh, so, yeah. Into it. And if you would like to have a conversation about First Church or anything, really, uh, find a way to hit me up, I suppose. Nice. Yeah. Thanks cool. for having me, dude. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I hope I said something. You know? <laughs> Goodness. It was a struggle on these things. Yeah. Um, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks for coming yeah. out. Thanks, dude. Um, until those listening, thanks for joining us on whatever platform you are joining us on. If you're on YouTube, we are on Spotify. And if you're on Spotify, we're on YouTube. Hooray. Uh, feel free, if you're on YouTube, please share the video that goes a long way for the algorithm. Uh, the like button is also great. Appreciate that as well. Looking to have our cameras back. We had them from McKenna. We're trying to upgrade our studio now, so just sit tight on that. But they will be coming in the future. And until next time, guys, show your backbone.